have to know those Christians and get into and say, hey, you know, Paul addressed all of these issues and all of these things, and just because they're uncomfortable to talk about or deal with, you know, something doesn't mean that we shy away from it. So we're in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Let's open up in prayer and, and dig into what's going on here. Father, we pray uh, that you just speak to our hearts during this time as we read your word, Lord. Pray, Father, that you would just communicate to our hearts and minds. Wherever our hearts and minds may have been already this morning or where they've been this week, I pray that you, Holy Spirit, would just draw into perfect alignment whatever you've been communicating to hearts and minds and souls this week, Father. We pray that we would be encouraged by your love and by your grace and that we'd be challenged by what you've called us to. And that we wouldn't feel overwhelmed, but that we would rely on you and run to you for strength, for stability, for security. And I thank you that as we draw closer to you, you hold us up. You build our trust. You provide for us. Your favor rests upon our life. We give you praise. We give you glory. We just thank you. We pray for our kids, Lord, next door, as the seeds are being planted, that you would bring the increase there, Father. We'll be the best stewards that we can possibly be. And we just pray, Lord, that you just breathe life, Lord, into words of truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Have you ever, maybe, let's say, been outside of the U.S.? How many people have been outside of the U.S., just out of curiosity? Oh, wow, so a bunch of people. All righty. So let's say you're outside the U.S., and you get a plate of food in front of you, and it looks pretty funky. Funky, right? So whatever the menu item is, it's funky, okay? Now, right in that moment, you will have a response. You might even be convicted right away. Because for those people that typically pray over their food first and give thanks to the Lord for it, Maybe at home, when we give thanks for our food and we thank God for it, some chicken nuggets, some pasta, you know, some whatever. God, thank you for this food. Then you have your prayer. Whatever your prayer is, is what it is. I encourage you to get outside of that prayer. But we have our comfortable prayers that we do before food here. When you're somewhere else and a plate of funkiness is sitting before you, all of a sudden, you're not playing around with the dinner prayer anymore. It's like, Father, I do not want to get sick. <laughs> God, I don't want to offend anybody that's here. I want to eat this and just please, please take care of this. <laughs> right? You're not playing around in that moment. Um, you could even turn it up another notch. I don't know if you thought about it. So you know Joe, you know, went away to India for a little bit. Um, I thought about it, and I haven't asked her, but uh, more because I didn't really want to mess her up. I'll ask her after if it actually happened. But So she went away to India, right? So she had some food before her. I particularly like a lot of Indian food. My wife can't stand that. She hates it. Um, But I like some of it, and some of it's like, can be funky too, especially the more authentic that you get. But... If she's sitting there with that plate in front of her, let's say that that food was in some way 
blessed or offered as a sacrifice to another God. Some other God. Any other God other than the God that we follow, Father of Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, that's like a, that's like, that just got turned up a notch. Not only is this funky, you hope you're going to be okay, but if then you just got word that maybe or found out that this was offered to some idol, to some other God, it's like, well, I didn't really want to eat it before. I don't think I want to eat it at all now. Right? It puts you in a dilemma, right? It's kind of difficult to handle. Because food, which is, you know, something that we need, sustenance, you know, we've got to take it in, we need it for our strength, help build us up to get through the day to do whatever we've got to do. But if it was offered, like, to a demonic spirit of some sort, well, how does that play out for me? I think this same question also plays into something that I get asked a lot. I get asked a lot of stuff, but... You know, certainly things that I get asked of a lot are holidays. You know, how we do holidays as a church. Because most holidays that are celebrated that we know of, they all have radically pagan roots. They just do. So many times the question is, well, do you do the Easter eggs? You know? You're rolling around in the grass with your family? You know who that's about, right? And I'm, I know, I understand. But we have to go through a conversation. Or Christmas, radically pagan roots. So that you log. Do you know what that you log is about? You know how that started? The Christmas tree. Do you know? Right? So then there's like these conversations of things. So the importance of this food being offered to some other God, some other entity, this idea of something like a celebration being rooted in an offering to other gods, it all is relevant to us. So we're not necessarily in this church in Corinth dealing with what they're dealing with, but the same exact situation applies to us. Because we're sitting around a lot of things that probably have roots that aren't real good that God wouldn't be real proud of. And the question is, how does the Christian respond? Right? How does the Christian respond? So as we, dump, as we jump into this, uh, I want you to keep one thought in mind, all right? So keep one thought in mind. Here's the one thought. The love that we are called to, the love we are called to, the love we are called to, sometimes trumps our freedom we given. Okay, let's try it all over again. What was the first? The love that we are called to, yeah, E, that's what I'm talking about, right? The love that we are called to sometimes trumps our freedom we have been given. That may seem random and abstract, but I promise you it'll make sense. We've been given a love in Christ. I mean, we've been given a freedom through the love, and that freedom entails us to do a lot of things under Christ. Freedom. We're not tied to anything. But it comes with some caveats, with some things we need to pay attention to, and it falls under the category of love when we do that. So there's much freedom in the Christian's life, but there's also much restraint. And they're both coming from the same place of love. 
Sound good? All righty. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now about food, sacrifice to idols. So they wrote a question. We talked about this last time. Paul's answering questions that they had about what was going on in their church. And one of the questions was, hey, we have this issue with food and idols. And just so you understand the context a little bit better, it was a little bit more than um, some food from idols like ended up in their church. It was, it was more like all of the meat in the local marketplaces that was around them. It was meat that was left over from getting offered to another god. So, the other gods that were worshipped in this context, they would have sacrifices that they would give to that god, particular parts of the animal, and the rest of it, they'd give over to the meat market and people would buy and then they'd consume it. So the people in the church are like, whoa, like, I don't, you know. That was dedicated to such and such God. They prayed over that in such and such God's name. Uh, should we be touching that? Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? So that's what they're asking Paul about. And you can understand the question, right? There's going to be a group of people that's going to fall in one area and be like, heck no, stay away. And then there'll be another one, group of people that'll be like, oh yeah, it's fine, you know, like, you know, God, is, he covers everything. And there'll be another group that's just sort of like, I can see what they're saying, I can see what they're saying, I, I don't know. So Paul's going to, in a very interesting way, answer the question. So let's see. He says, now about food sacrifice to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. What does love do? Builds up. What does knowledge do? Puffs up. So education, for the sake of education, for just learning more. So coming to church, going to Bible studies, and just learning more information about God. That has the total opposite effect. It just puffs us up educationally, knowledge-wise, about a God. Doesn't necessarily at all draw us closer to a, a heart of God. So just learning a lot about the Bible really doesn't do us a lot of good at all. In fact, it can do us a lot more harm. Because even Jesus said to the Pharisees, who had the most Bible knowledge, he said, like, you guys are deceived. You think that by knowing more that somehow you're going to get eternal life. He's like, you guys have totally missed that. Totally missed it. So it's good for us to gain knowledge, but not at the cost of losing his heart. So it's important to gain knowledge, but not at the cost of missing or losing his heart. So knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know, but the man who loves God is known by God. I read that and I think, Paul, how are you answering the question right now? Like, just give him an answer. Talk about, like, not being committal in any way. Like, they're asking you, man, can they eat the food at the idols? And he's like, well, you know, knowledge and love and da 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 Okay, that's cool. Let's read some more. So verse 4. So then... What about eating food sacrificed to idols? And they're probably like, yeah, what about it? Uh, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. That's where he's coming from. He's like, idols, you know, whatever. There's one God who saves, one God who restores, one God that's the creator. That's who we worship. That's what he's saying. Verse 5. 
For even if there are so-called gods, or demons, or demonic forces, or evil spirits, whether in heaven or on earth, verse 6, yet for us there is still but one God, the Father from whom all things came, and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came, and through whom we live. So he's setting the foundation. He's saying, okay, with this food and idols and all this stuff, he's saying, listen, let's just start with who, what we know. We know we serve God. We know we serve Jesus Christ, who's Lord of all. Nothing was created without him. Everything was created for him. Everything was created to be with him. Nothing trumps him. It's not like there's God and there's like the devil. You know, it's like they're battling it out. The end of Revelation is very, very anticlimactic. He like picks them up and like throws them in there. There's the fight. It's like it's not even close. It's God, Holy Spirit, and it's like it's like apples and oranges. You can't even compare the two. So that's what like Paul is setting the stage up. I really like what he says here, though. Verse seven. But not everyone knows this. Not everyone has a firm conviction that God is who he says he is, and he is as powerful as he says he is, and nothing even comes close to his ability or power. Not everybody's quite settled on that. Not that at some point they shouldn't be, but people are at different places spiritually, right? Some people could have just given their lives to the Lord, spiritual babes. They're just learning, just learning who God is, just learning who they are. They might not necessarily be in with their whole heart and lives that, with an authoritative and convicting way that God is who he says he is. Eventually they'll get there. There could be others. Maybe been in, around God for a little while, been in a relationship, and they're starting to know about it. And it's like, you know what? I heard it all for a while, but now I'm starting to like, I'm seeing it for myself. It's not just theology now. Like, it's really true. God is who he says he is, and he's starting to show these things in my life. And there's people on the other end that they just, it would seem conceited or arrogant to some, but it's just a rock-solid, secure faith that has been tested over time. I know who God is. It's it's not even a thing. I know who he is. I know what he's going to do. He's going to do this. He's moving like this. He's done this before. So that's why he says in verse 7, eh, not everybody really buys into that. But yet we still have this issue of the food and the idols, and what do we do? Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol, and since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. So some people, they can't get it out of their minds. They just, can't get it out of there. This was sacrificed to an idol. Like they blessed it in some other God's name. No, like that kind of messed things up for me a little bit. There's uh, this place uh, near my work. It's a Turkish restaurant, and I like a lot of different types of food, and, and they make some, some good food. And they did like a nice little three-course thing. I had some red lentil soup to begin with, and then I got um, you know some homemade hummus that they had. And then I got some lamb kebabs. Killer. So good. So good. So, went through the whole thing, you know, uh, as far as the meal and being with the people we were with. 
And then after I left, you know, it's got halal right on the front of the restaurant. And halal means that the meat has been prepared in such a way to where it's not been given antibiotics, it's not been, um, you know, tainted in any way uh, medically, it's, uh, it hasn't been preserved with uh, funky chemicals or anything, which is all good. It's almost like kosher. But the one thing that kind of gave me issue was that halal meat, those other things are true, but what's also true is that the way that they execute the animal before they do it, there's a particular way that they do it, um, which is pretty humane compared to other ways that animals can be executed. But what they do is they say, Allah is the greatest, Allah is the greatest, Allah is the greatest, three times, and then they kill the animal. So, that was after I ate my meal. <laughs> so, like, Do I throw it up? <laughs> like, how do you, you know? And I go back to, you know, Joanna. So she's in India, like, and I don't even know if she asked the question or had food in front of her that had that, but it's, it's a very real possibility where she's at. And I was offered many ways in whatever ways, blessed in whatever ways. Um, it's too bad I really like that food, you know? But, but that's the thing. Like, should I wrestle with that? Should that thing be a thing that I wrestle with? Or should I not? Like, just, hey, it's halal, you know, whatever. I just eat it, you know? Like, what? So all of a sudden, like, a 1 Corinthians 8 kind of plays into that, you know, some more. Because some people can just see it as, ah, it's tainted, I can't do it, it was given over. And Paul would say, like we just read, that their conscience is weak, it's defiled. Verse 8, check it out, though. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat, and no better if we do. So this is like really interesting. So it's like, hold the phone, right? So hold on a minute here. So he's saying, he's saying that, that people that set up, when we set up, because we're going to go through different seasons of life, but when we set up in our lives a lot of rules and regulations when it comes to food and activity, he says that's, that's a weak conscience. That's an immature type of faith. We might think that somebody has a really mature faith that they're like, I don't do this, I don't do that, I don't do this. That might be as the result of God making it clear to them, hey, don't go anywhere near that. Technically, bad news for you, don't do it. And he would say the mature believer has a strong conscience and they can just eat whatever. Because like he just said, food is it's really a non-issue. It's a non-issue. He would say you're a son or a daughter of the king. The spirit of the living God lives inside of you. You thank God for it and Jesus Paul says that's, that's not, not everybody's going to be right there. Not everybody's going to be right there at that same attitude. So, verse 9. Because not everybody's there, make them be there and force it on them. Yeah. No! <laughs> right? 
right? Because sometimes that's a temptation. Oh, your faith isn't where it should be, so you've got to do this. We're treading on really thin ice and bad waters right there. Right? We have to be very, very careful. Because like we said in the beginning, our freedom many times trumped by the love that we have for somebody else. Throws a restraint up on it. So we have to be careful. That's why he says, verse 9, be careful. However, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. So he's saying, hey, we can run into problems here if you're eating and drinking in a way to where your church family or to where your group overall is really uncomfortable with it, even though technically you could do it. Saying that's a stumbling block situation. Saying stay away from that. That's not a good idea. So this is very interesting how Paul answered this question so far. He's basically saying, hey, you can eat anything. Technically, it's all good. Freedom. You have freedom. You've been set free to be free. But he's saying within that, sometimes like you take the L, as the kids call it nowadays, right? Like you restrain somebody else. I was talking with somebody, I forget who it was, fairly recently, but the topic came up with, um, with alcohol, you know, because that's always a big one too. You know, should I drink? Should I not drink? Should I go to this bar? Should I not go to the bar? Should I do all this stuff? It's always right to questions. And it all still resorts back to this issue. This issue is we've been set free. We're free. We can go to any arena and domain that we want. In a place or thing, we out of not by our flesh. It's just you know something about justification. So we'll just make it be that we really want to do it and. If God lets it, certainly he wanted it. That's some bad reasoning right there. That's what we call not spirit-led. Flesh-led that's manipulated to fall into the spirits. Bad. So I had a thought, and I was going somewhere, and then I just totally lost it. Alcohol. Thank you. Boom. So the thing with the alcohol... So, I forget what we were talking about. We were talking about something, and um, we're in a particular group of some people, and I knew some people in that setting, like, it just, you know, alcohol just did not have a good place in their life, and just, I just knew that. So I shared it with them, I was like, mm, you know, I don't think this is, like, a good situation. You probably shouldn't have this stuff here, you know. It's a get-together of some kind. Oh, no, it's fine, you know, like, you know, Christians can drink, and I'm like, yeah, you know, they can, you know, it's, it's fine, like. But we got to just like be conscious and just think about this could be like a problem for somebody. If somebody sees Pastor Jared just indulging in a particular way, with, it doesn't have to be alcohol in whatever situation or circumstance, and it's a struggle issue for them, they say, oh, well, Pastor does it so. And it doesn't have to be the pastor doing it, it doesn't have to be the worship leader doing it, it can be the Christian friend who does it. Oh, well, someone's with a Christian album, they do it, so it must be. We have to be really careful. 
expects that we have a heart that actually thinks first about who will be around and how it might be perceived before we actually do it. That's like, whoa. So other people are going to control my life. I can't control what other people are going to do or say or think. You're right, you can't. And I'm glad that we can't. But it doesn't mean we don't make an effort to. It doesn't mean we don't make an effort to. Because many times people will say, well, how far do we take that reasoning? How far do I go with considering somebody else before I do anything? Because you could take it really far. As far as, probably a good way to think about it would be like political correctness. <laughs> it's almost getting to the point now, you know, where you can't say, really do anything. You could offend somebody in some way, shape, or form. And I think that we're talking more than offensiveness. Paul never said because you might offend them. He said because you might make it be a stumbling block for them. Here's a stumbling block. Stumbling block to try and force people into the freedom that God has made available before they're. That's the truth, though. It's a problem. It's a stumbling If they haven't come close to God's heart yet and know Him in a personal way, to then force Him in a room and be like, ah, you could do this or that, that's fine, it's whatever. You're good. Ask somebody, like, nah, I don't really like that. Like, you're fine. Let them be free in a way that they need to be free when God speaks it to their hearts. Not because they were like pushed over the line. Is it making sense? I'm trying really hard to make it make sense. Because it's a really important issue. We are completely free and whatever we want. We can consume whatever you want. It's amazing freedom that we have in Christ. We've been set free from sin. We've been empowered to come anything that will come our way. We've been equipped to handle any situation so that glory can be brought to God and He can turn it and have it work in His favor and we get blessed in the process. No matter any situation in life. That's foundational Christian truth 101. And we should embrace that and go after that. And we're going to read in a minute that just because everything is allowed to us does not mean everything should be into bias. have to be very, very careful. Because it would be horrible for us, right? I think you'd feel horrible. I would feel horrible to know that in some way I help I said or did something to spur somebody in a direction that put them in a bad place. And, and somebody can lie about it and manipulate it and be like, oh, because you did this or you said that. No, I'm... But we're saying, you know, for the most part, in a fairly honest situation, we want to spur people on holiness towards a better relationship with their father. 
That's what we want to go after. So verse 10. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you who have this knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't he be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? So he's saying, this is where knowledge like, isn't working out good. You might know that you're free and stuff, but so-and-so is not at that place yet. Verse 11. So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. It's like, that's not good. Don't, don't force them into that. Verse 12. When you sin against your brothers in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again. I'll go vegan. It's what we'll do. So that I will not cause him to fall. It's an amazing love. This is a deep love here. Quit me. I don't even... If that's going to be a hang-up in some way for me to somehow bring the gospel truth and show them love and have them be around me, uh, it's done. We done in that area. It's an amazing picture of Paul. I need to tell them the truth. I need to make a decision for Jesus. He had a heart that was after other people's hearts as well. Make myself become whatever I have to become so God can use me to speak His love through my life. Acts 18, 18. Like, this wasn't a one-time issue for Paul. This is just how he regularly interacted and dealt with people. In Acts 18, 18, he made a vow before he was about to head to another place, and he cut off all his hair. He he didn't need to. But he did it for the respect of the people that he was going to go talk to and meet with. So his heart was always aligned with love towards people. Knowing that he had full freedom, but within that freedom was a deep restraint. God has set me free, set me, he has. But when that love is in there, we just restrain based on who's around. Maybe we don't say certain things, maybe we don't go certain places. We just don't bring certain things up. Why push any buttons if we don't have to? You know, pushing buttons is kind of fun, but. So just made, so just two thoughts, and then we. So just to so one thought here, the idea here with, with this food to idols, and this goes with holidays, with your Christmas, with your Easter, with all this stuff. Paul was able to. He basically answered the question. He got to it. He said, "Listen, technically, saying technically they can." but their hearts are wrong. Well, that's a crappy situation. So you're left being right, and everybody else is left. You're right. (laughs) 
I love how Paul answered the question because he didn't get the right or wrong issue. He never said, they're right, they're wrong, get in line. It's like, ah, they're right, you can eat it. So, but people are at different stages in their faith. And their conscience is important. So respect it. Even if it means you've got to scale back on what God said is true about your faith and your ability to live the way you want to live. Scale it back. Pretty interesting. So a sign of spirit. Restraint. That's a really good from spending on what we'd want to spend it on. If we're becoming... maturity is So spiritual maturity is found in restraint. I want to somehow be a blessing in their life and have God use me, work through me. If God put that in our hearts and our minds, and I believe that He does in the believers, He just He puts things in our hearts and our minds that just either we're people, we think about them, or things come up, or they come into our lives, and maybe it just stops right there. Many times God is calling us to move. And many times our faith gets in there, it's like, ah, oh, you know. They don't want that from you. You're just going to harass them, and they're not interested. And it's like, maybe that's the case sometimes. And they'll probably let us know. For the most part, I think it would...
answer that question. And I I've made somebody clear invest into them, invest into them. So they say no, it's bothering them. Invest into them. I want to show you, if you take a look at Romans 15, take a look there real quick. Romans 14. Left a little bit. And it's like came up a lot in the early churches. Time came into the long and detailed. You can do this, you can't you know. But really short and um, honor God the best I can. And that's what was in their life. And so of like consumer 